You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, stack size, how and why it matters. Hey, Dell, how's it going this week? It's going really good this week. I'm going to be working four days this week, and then I get to be off until January 3rd. So I've got a long time coming off, get to enjoy the Christmas time, and spend a lot of time with my wife, which is just about my favorite thing on the planet. Great. And you get like at least two weeks to do that. So that's fantastic. That's not going to be too much time for her to get sick of you, is it? Well, you know, it's important to understand that I have been happily married for 19 years. My wife has been happily married for 12, not all of them in a row. So, you know, she might get sick of me, but eventually she'll get to send me back off to work. Good, good. Yeah. My wife doesn't get sick of me because I spend so much time doing all my hobbies. So we have just enough time and just enough common interests to keep things interesting, but we have enough differences that we can do our own thing and we're fine. I think it's pretty important that you don't need the other person to be happy. If you're happy the way you are with yourself, it's so much easier for other people to be happy with you. So I I think that's kind of a good relationship thing. And I know that you and Terry are pretty good at having, you know, being happy by yourself, being happy with who you are. Yeah. You know, um, not that I want to turn this into a relationship podcast, but yeah, I think that it is very important to be whole by yourself before you can be whole in a partnership with somebody. And in my particular case, I uh, I definitely married up. I'm very, very lucky to have somebody who is intelligent, beautiful, and wonderful as my wife. And it's also nice that she likes that I play poker and get out of the house once in a while when I am home. So Excellent. I married up as well. I tell everyone at the casino that I found a smart, beautiful, funny woman with really low standards. So I think that might be the end of this section of TBSTV After Dark before people start sending us their romance song requests. So this episode is not about relationship guidance, although maybe it is because it's your relationship to the poker table relative to stack size, what stack size is and why it's important. I see too many people at the table, sometimes myself included, ignoring stack sizes when planning out and executing the hand. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's pretty funny that all these years after the boom, we're still discussing the value of stack size because people just don't understand it. We had an individual who was communicating with us this last week, and he stated to me that he didn't see the importance of stack size because if you had a big stack, it didn't make your hand any stronger. And if you had a small stack, it didn't make your hand any weaker. This is just a fundamental misunderstanding of the value of stack size. So that person isn't incorrect in the sense of the absolute strength of your hand doesn't change with stack size. However, (laughs) the EV of a given hand will change greatly depending on the effect of stack sizes in use. So I think that it plays a huge part in our decision-making at the poker table. Stack sizes, actually, that's incorrect. It should play a huge part. But for many poker players, it doesn't, particularly at low stakes. It doesn't play the huge part that it should, and they're not paying attention. So one of the things that goes on is that somebody will be at a low stakes game or a home game, and they'll get a hand that they will play because they think 
They've seen it played by all the high stakes players and all the players on TV. And they misunderstand that those players are able to play some of those hands because they're playing super deep. So those hands can be played profitably because there's a lot of implied odds. And people don't understand that. That's one of the huge fundamental mistakes of the game. It's not just implied odds. I would also argue it has to do with playability. When we were talking to that person who communicated with us earlier this week, we were trying to disabuse them of the notion that equity and EV are the same thing. Yes, the equity of your hand does not change based on stack size. But we had an entire episode about manufacturing EV. And there would be no need to manufacture EV if we only played straight up equity. But we don't. We find opportunities to manufacture EV based on range on range construction, how well our ranges interact with the flop and the texture versus how well their ranges interact. And when people only consider stack sizes as irrelevant, really, to the hand, you can paint yourself into a quarter so quick. There are two ways to drive SPR down. By the way, stack to pot ratio. You can either decrease the size of the stacks or increase the pot. If you're in a three bet pot with someone who only has 50 bigs behind them, chances are they're at top of range because playing a short stack almost requires that you tighten your ranges and you play a more value-oriented strategy. And if you're not paying attention to that because you're not paying attention to stack sizes, you open yourself up to losing stacks. I have to say that I don't necessarily agree wholeheartedly with that, that, that statement. If somebody's got 50 big blinds, they should be at the top of the range. And this is one of those fundamental mistakes that a lot of people make. They'll, they'll be short stack and they're playing the same range that they would play if they were 100 big blinds deep or 200 big blinds deep. So you're right. They should be at the top of the range. And if it's a, a good player and they're playing short stack, then maybe it's in a tournament. Maybe they will be at the top of the range. But so many players are in a cash game. They're buying in for 50 big blinds and then not understanding that they have to play that 50 big blinds real tight. That's what short stack ninjas do. You know, they'll play really tight until they have a hand that they know that they're comfortable going all in with. And on the absolute reverse of that is the player that's got 200 big blinds, but they're calling a player who's got 50 big blinds. And what they're not understanding is they're not playing a 200 big blind stack anymore. If you're heads up against a player with 50 big blinds, then the two of you are playing a 50 big blind game. Both of you are playing a 50 big blind game. So the thing about that that's important to understand is you're going to take and go to the flop, and you're going to go to the flop with probably an SBR two or less. You're not pushing them off a top pair. And if they shove, what do you have to fear? If you got top pair, their shove isn't pushing you off your top pair. The reality is, is you have people who are, they play that short stack and they'll have that hand they've been waiting all day for and they shove because the board gets scary. They don't shove otherwise for some reason. And then what happens is they get upset when they get called and find out the person got there with a set. Well, both players were wrong with the way they played. It was a misunderstanding of how to go about playing based on the given stack size, the given effective stack size of that hand. So it plays such a huge part. And yet so few people are implementing that at, you know, one, two, one, three, two, five. First of all, I have to thank you for correcting me on my language there. You're right. People should, listeners, you should, Dell and I, we should 
we should change our strategy when short stacked versus deep stacked. I had mentioned there's equity, playability, and also psychology and behavior tells. There are a number of different factors that go into how you can manufacture EV in a hand. When stack sizes are low, you need to focus more on the equity portion of that formula and not so much the playability portion of that formula. For example, if you're trying to set mine and you get called and you're, you don't flop a set, now you have like a pocket force. You have a pair of fours. How playable is that post-flop really, especially when you're in a 50 big blind effective stack pot? Probably not. Meanwhile, if you're deeper stacked, yeah, you still have some maneuverability there. So I want to thank you for pointing me out on that language. And I would encourage everyone to explore that trade-off between equity and playability, especially as it relates to, to stack size. Now, I did mention set mining. And I think we probably would be remiss if we didn't talk about some general heuristics of how to use stack size when trying to plan your hand. There's a general heuristic, 15x, 25x, 35x caveat. These numbers will change based on player tendencies, whatever other factors. But generally speaking, if you're trying to set mine, you want to call a bet or call a raise when the amount that you have to call is 1 15th the effective stack size behind. If you want to play suited connectors, it should be 1 25th the size remaining. If you want to play suited gappers, it should be 1 35th. Now, these are the numbers I use. Your numbers can vary. I know, Dell, you, you use different numbers, and it really depends on your comfort level. And we can talk about the reasons why. Yeah, I use 20, 25, and 30, and that's in position. And out of position, I'll go 25, 30, 35. But it doesn't really matter. The point is, is you need to have a significant implied odds in order to make it worth set mining or playing certain hands that w would be considered speculative. So the thing about that is, if you don't like our numbers, you can literally just put in rules on set mining and you're going to get stuff from split suits, weenie or... Um, upswing poker or any of these you'll find you can find right on youtube and, and they'll give you their set of rules but they're all pretty significant in the uh implied odds that are needed in order to take and do it so here's the thing you know when we do stuff like we've set mine when we hit our set we're not guaranteed to win that's the first thing you have a one in eight chances flopping a set so if you could take and get paid nine to one then absolutely that used to be the thought process. Except the problem is, is that you don't always win when you hit your set and you don't always stack off people when you hit your set. They have to have something in order to stack off. So therein lies the problem. So that 15 or 20X is that buffer you need in order to make up for those times that you're the one that gets stacked off or you don't get paid when you do hit your set. So that's why, that's just one more reason why stack size is so important. When our stack sizes are low, what's happening is there's going to be a lot more flops where the option is either you're getting it all in or you're giving up. The lines become a lot more simpler. Either you have enough equity to go all in or you don't. And it's really just based on the fact that your stack sizes are so small. When your stack sizes are bigger, when they above 100 big blinds, you start to have some playability post-flop. Even at 100 big blinds, though, we're still, a lot of the, the notion is, when we hit the flop, the, a lot of the notions is, how do we get all the money in as quickly as possible? You get up around 200 big blinds, and all of a sudden, all this post-flop playability opens up. So 
stack size matters a lot. Now you're 150, 200 big blinds. What the goal now is to try and coax your opponent into either folding if that's what you want or putting as much money in to the point of feeling pot committed. You've got very distinct ways of you're playing this when you take and have different stack sizes. It, it's it's literally one of the most important things. I don't want to say it's the most because obviously you have hand strength that, you know, some people will say it doesn't matter, but obviously it matters. Hand strength matters, but it's extremely important. It's definitely one of the top three things for importance on our decision making when we're playing a hand. Many times I have specifically sized my bets relative to my opponent's stack size with the intent of getting a pot size bet or just a little bit under on the river. For example, my opponent, it's the flop, and my opponent might have 230 behind. We're playing 1-3, so they don't quite have 80 bigs. They got like 230. I bet 70, and I specifically bet that amount because I strongly suspected they would call 70, leaving them with about 160 behind. And given the pre-flop action and the flop action, now the pot is around their stack size. So if a blank comes, I can put them all in, and they'll likely feel, like Dell said, pot committed. They'll call. They might not even like calling. I've had a few players bemoan themselves for calling. Like They'll say, oh, I, I kind of have to call here because I'm pot committed. And then they put the remaining stack in, and I win. And it's because I planned the hand from the outright, understanding how much they had. One of the things that comes up is, are there any good reasons to short stack? And th there's a couple that I can think of. There's probably more than this. I don't recommend short stacking, by the way. I think that if you have a skill advantage, you always want to take and you want to have a bigger stack if you have a skill advantage. And you want your opponents to have a bigger stack. But if you have to short stack, it could be because you have limited funds and poker is what you do for fun. And you're going to buy in for your 50 big blinds that week and you're going to play. And when they're gone, they're gone. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's also nothing wrong if you don't play at the top of your range with that because you're doing it for fun. But if you're doing this and the goal is to make some money, you might be one of those people that needs to start out as a short stack ninja. And if that's what you're going to do, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be you're going to be playing really tight and you're going to be looking for opportunities where you feel you can get the money in with the best of it. And there's some people who build bankrolls that way. It's I, I will say this, if you're a short stack ninja and you build up your chips at the table, you're going to find that you're going to have a lot more playability with that bigger stack. And if you can be a short stack ninja, then you can play a big stack too. It is more complicated, but learn how to play it. So those are the two reasons I can think of short stacking. Otherwise, I think we should always be trying to have a bigger stack when we can afford it. And we need to take in, learn how to wield that. There's a lot of power in a big stack because if you're the big stack at the table, then everybody else, when they play you, has to put their stack at risk. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And, and I would also advocate playing as deeply stacked as you're capable of playing, as your budget or your bangle allows. There's one other scenario I could see where someone might want to play short stack because I have two friends I can think of who do this. They need a confidence boost. They've been playing deep stack for a while. They've had some bad beats. They've had some bad variants. They're down in the dumps. They don't want to give up playing, but they want to simplify the decision tree. And the decision tree becomes far more simpler when you play a strictly value-based strategy and take some of the post-flop playability out of the equation. So they'll sit down with 60 to 80 bigs 
simplify their strategy, double up, card the W, get the win, and then build up their confidence that way. You know, sometimes you just need to get a win under your belt to make yourself feel better. I hope that people understand that our point here isn't to judge anybody based on their stack size or, or how they play. Because I'm sure there are some of our listeners are not interested in playing professionally or interested as a side gig. Some of our listeners probably play this for fun and they just want to be a little better at it. There's nothing wrong with that. Our thing is that we want to tell you why it's important and we want you to make the decisions based off of good information. So I think that I think we've given quite a bit of good information here. And we were talking about tools earlier. We've already mentioned one, the uh, 15, 25, 30 rule you said, or what, what numbers do you use? I use 15X for set mining, 25X for suited connectors, and 35X for suited gappers. But your mileage may vary based on specific player styles, behavior tells. There might be other factors that you'd use in position, out of position. I know Dell changes his if he's out of position. The numbers don't actually matter. Okay, the numbers do matter because you want to make sure that you have enough effective behind to make the play plus EV if you're going to set mine or play speculative hands. The more important thing is that you understand the concept behind those numbers. And once you understand the concept behind those numbers, you can adjust them down or up accordingly based on your individual circumstances at the time. When you start, you might want to just take the numbers right out of hand. You might want to start with 15, 25, 35, and go with it. As you become more comfortable understanding the concepts that underpin those numbers, you can make your own adjustments. And then you, and then you own those numbers. They become part of your game and your strategy. So you can set yourself up a set of rules like that and, and use them as a tool, and, and I highly recommend it. They can be a little flexible, but for the most part, you should stick to them, whatever numbers there that you choose. But one of the things I wanted was to uh, suggest that people ask a couple of questions of themselves before they make decisions. The first one, before every hand that's dealt, take a moment, look around the table and ask, what is everybody's stack size? Take a moment to make note of the stack sizes. And I say every hand because honestly, it only takes a second. Once you've done it the first time, it only takes a second because you really only have to check in on the stack sizes that have changed. You don't have to be exact with this. Most players nowadays are stacking in 20 stacks. You still have some that stack in 10 stacks and you'll get really good at it. If you do this and you practice it, you'll get really good at it. Be able to look at somebody's stacks and say, oh, they've got about 380. That one's got over there. He's got about 250 or and, and be able to go through it. And then you know their stack size. It's important for your decision making. And my other one here was that before you call with a speculative hand or uh, you might even throw in small pairs there. Ask, does this player have enough in their stack to make playing this hand plus EV? I think those sound great. So I don't think I have anything else to add on this topic, Dale. I think we covered it pretty pretty succinctly. I don't have anything to add either. I think this has been a really good podcast. I hope that the people who are listening think so also. I can't tell you about it yet because BJ's asked me to wait, but I can tell you that something exciting is coming for us. And we're both very excited about it. We'll be telling you in future podcasts. So Sounds good. Thanks, Dell. It's always a good time. Yes, it is. Thank you. Been awesome. And until next week, send us those romantic love song requests, and we might play yours on next week's episode as an intro. This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review. 
on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. Thank you.